Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. This message is brought to you by the number three. Last week, um, this is a prophetic message today, and um, it goes along with what we preached on last week, which was called, the, the name of that message was Two. And when I woke up and I was driving to church um, last week, there was a huge number two in the sky. And this this has been a really interesting week. Um, but Cece is going to bring the bulk of the word today um, because she has a prophetic word for you today. I wanted to kind of set her up a little bit. Um, she had a she had a dream about three threes and how do, how many of you know that God's kind of into numbers? So I, I made a little slide, a couple of slides for us just to get us started. And when God's into numbers and he highlights something, it's for a specific time. You know, I've done um, a lot of dream interpretations over the years. And one of the things that God loves to do is he loves to have this metaphoric language. And it's really, really vitally important for this time and this generation that you begin to develop a language with God to where you can understand that's how he's going to speak to you because he has messages for you that he wants you to deliver to other people. And it's time for the church to realize it's not about coming here and just receiving something and going out and doing the same thing. You're actually receiving some equipment today to go out and actually steward what God gives you and what you hear today so that when you go out into the world, into your job, wherever you are, that you actually impact it with something. And so while I was thinking about three threes, the Holy Spirit just showed me a few things I wanted to highlight before she comes. And one of the things that um, you have to remember about developing your, how many want to develop their prophetic gift? Just stand up for a minute. Papa, I just release right now just the understanding that this prophetic gift is meant to be trained. It's meant to be um, uh, honed. It's meant to be refined. So right now I want you to look with your spiritual eyes, close your eyes for a minute, all those who want to perfect your prophetic gift, and look at it as a, an object, like an entity. And the Holy Spirit is taking it and He's shaping it to where that the prophetic gift will come out of your mouth through encouragement. That the, the, what's going on in the Old Testament, the prophecy was for correction and direction. In the New Testament, it says it's for edifying and building up and encouraging. And so no matter how you receive the message, God says that you are to, with the Holy Spirit, shape that message to bring encouragement to somebody's heart. You're not meant to reveal sin in their heart. You're meant to actually bring, paint a road for them to want to come into the kingdom. And if you will just change your mind about that, the Holy Spirit will begin to refine that in you. And you have to lay down control today. This prophetic gift is not about you. It's all about Him. He has a goal. He has an agenda. And it's not yours. And as soon as they, you yield, you can begin to yield. That means yield fruit. That means actually bear something out of your gift. So I release today the power to break control right now off the prophetic gift. I release right now the power to rearrange the definition of the prophetic. And there, this is a house that is developing 500 prophetic leaders. 
And so I just release the power of the Holy Spirit right now. If that's you, that you just step into the vision of one life. You step into the refinement process. And you, every prophetic house has to have an apostolic direction and covering and blueprint. And that's what we have here. It doesn't matter if you live with someone that's skeptical of it. It doesn't matter if you come from a church that hurts you with it. It doesn't change the fact that you're here. You're hearing my words today. And God is releasing a prophetic anointing on you right now in Jesus' name. All right, sit down. So one of the things, I'm talking fast because I don't have much time because I don't know how long Cece's going to talk. I know some of y'all are time conscious. I'm not time conscious. You know, I used to go to church in Colorado that we did worship for three and a half hours. So I don't know what, how y'all feel about that. But And then he would preach for two hours, so it was like a seven-hour event. And then we would turn around and do it again at five o'clock. But anyway, one of the, here's some threes for you today. So... Let's just first start with sin, okay? I think three, I would say three. Now, I've been, you know, counseling for a long time, been in the ministry all my life, and so these are things that I have observed, okay? Three of the main sins that we deal with are pride, unbelief, and rebellion. Now, if you understand that sin is just separation from God, and see, we're weird about sin because we've had a lot of wrong definitions. So we act like that there's no answer for it. But there's an answer, and his name's Jesus. And it's what Aaron's saying about today. It's free. That's the great part about the kingdom, is that God already pre-provided everything that you need. So er anything you're thinking about right now that, oh, you don't know, you know, whatever comes up in our souls, like, oh, I don't know how to prophesy, I don't know, I don't know, or I think I know, and I think I know everything, and where's my, where's my platform? I mean, there's just all kinds of things going on in the room. That we have to deal with what is actually separating me from God. And so if I have, there's, there's all kinds of people in the world, there's all kinds of people in this room, and everybody's dealing with something different, and their reaction to what they're dealing with is what you actually experience on the outside, Right? And so God wants to reveal to us where we're separated from him because what's his desire? All right, have you ever had a relationship and you just felt like, man, we're just not tight? Anybody ever had that? And you want to kind of know, what, what can I do to get back tight? Don't you? Or are you just like, forget that, I'm out of here, right? We want what? We're meant for relationship we're meant to be tight with God in people the problem is is that in our crazy fantasy world of sin we've hooked up with people who weren't meant to be tight with have you ever just known that God was like yeah that season's over but then but then you run into them and you're thinking well maybe I should talk to them have you ever had that anyone it's so weird how we can just get into that. And he's like, no, he really did solidify that. That season was over. So that's a good one, right? Another three for you real quick is, is Ecclesiastes 4. Does anybody know what it says? Three-stranded cord is not easily broken. Guess what that's about? Independence. And in, in independence, I can do nothing with the power of God. And in interdependence with the right people, safe people, 
then what happens? Everything I have flourishes, right? Cece's a great example. So I met Cece when she was 39. Colleen brought her, I think. They used to go to church together, raise her kids together. And she brought her. And the very first time that I met her, it was in, we were in a house church then. Oh, and just, hey, come on. Stretch your, hey, stretch your faith with me for a minute. I'm wanting to bust this wall out. We have another thousand square foot out there. And I'm wanting to bust this wall out, but you know what I need? Some chairs. I don't know if I need money, but I just need chairs that match these chairs. I need some drywall. I need some electrical. Y'all just pray with us, okay? I really want to do it by the end of the year, but don't tell Pammy because that would freak her out right now. So that's why I'm taking her on vacation next week. Y'all pray for us because we're going on, on a little trip. Thank the Lord Jesus. And so y'all come. Cheryl Lynn's going to be preaching next Sunday. And Vinton will preach on Wednesday. He's not even in here. Anyway, so what was I saying before that? Yeah, so, so when I met her, I gave her a prophetic word, but you know, that prophetic word is, was a lifeline to her. There was already something in her heart that knew it had to be true. And what did she do? She just reached up and grabbed hold and it pulled her right out of the pit. That's, that's the power of the prophetic. I mean, when I saw her, I saw a bunch of things. I mean, it was obvious. She was shut down. I could tell she was an introvert. She didn't even smile. What is that? Her resting face was not good. We've, we've all, all you old timers, we're practicing our resting face. If you don't know what I'm talking about. Which means like, she'll be like this all the time. <laughs> Sometimes we get like this. And nobody knows what's going on. So... But what happened was, over time, years and years and years of time, God began to reveal some things to her. One of the things was that he made her childlike. In other words, her the way that she sees life is just this really innocent way. I have to be like, no. Like, they're not, no. like Because she's, she's a little gullible. She'll admit it, I think. And... So, but God began to refine something that he actually knitted in her all along. She had never been trained in it. She had never, she didn't even know it existed. She didn't even know it was a thing. But what happened then was that as he began to make that come alive, other things behind it that I would call sub-gifts began to come alive. But the one thing that she had to do, she had to determine that she would stay in childlike faith. And she'll, she'll slip out. She tries to slip out it over there in the green room wall, go. And I was like, no, get back in to trusting. You're just about your, because what does the enemy do? He, he suggests things. Well, what if, and what if, and what if, right? And see what, that's, that's really important to remember about your gifts, is that just like she can be in a lane with her gift and it's powerful, how many have been changed by the words that Papa has said over her, the songs that we sing come from things that she's written. It's, she told me one time, before she even started on this journey to write for, for God, she said, well, this is the one thing I kind of want my life to be have an impact on the, on the planet. I don't even know how it could. 
And I was like, oh, you just don't even know. Right? And that's true for you too. Just when she's talking today, receive the gift of impact. And ask him while she's talking, make my... Unwe- unweed my garden because see that's all it was well she had a beautiful garden but it was full of weeds what's what are weeds they're lies it was full of lies and lies produce what fear right and so as that began to be reignited in her then this this awesome th- two things happened she began to dream she dreams like some sort of sci-fi movie thing i don't even know how to describe how she dreams and she had she had a bunch of those this week and she writes sometimes from a place of of torment like feeling oppressed feeling down feeling feeling a weightiness but the writing with him begins to make that flower blossom again i look at it like there's just there's just been something that has sort of caused her to be like this and grip things really tight. And as she begins to write, it's like all these things begin to open up like that. And before you know it, there's a whole treasure chest right there. And she just writes about the treasure chest. Now, I, I, that three-strand cord, the reason why it's so vital to you is because your prophetic gift is one of the five-fold ministries for the office of the prophet, but everybody can prophesy. Right. And so that I don't have time to talk about this today. So some of y'all just have to trust me. But it that prophetic gift has to have a covering and the covering keeps. I, I, Benny Hinn used to talk about it. If you're not careful with that gift, you'll just fly away. You'll just be so flighty. Right. And so sometimes the prophetic can do that because it's seeing great and mighty things. And it's whoa, whoa, and it's swishing all around. Right. How many? Know what I'm talking about. And so you need something to bring you back down to earth and realize that God's a God also structure. And so God's always creating, He's always doing something. And so that three strand quarter you can read about in Ecclesiastes 4, it's vitally important that I actually connect with strands that actually are going the same direction as me. Have you ever connected with somebody and you figured out 10 minutes in that they were they are just going a different place than I'm going? Listen, you don't want to be 90. Nobody's 90 in here, are they? Okay, good. It's almost offended somebody. My mom's 90, so I was like, nobody don't think anybody. You don't want to be 90 and say, well, I was waiting on them. That I don't, I don't see. <laughs> That's just not even the way it works, right? So just pursue. Like I said, we'll go run, 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 run. And the other thing I wanted to mention about the threes are this, that when Jesus entered into the wilderness, right before he started his ministry, listen to me, if you're going to have any ministry on the planet, you're going to have a wilderness season. Now, the difference between the wilderness season of Jesus and the wilderness season of the Israelites are a heart condition, right? So I, I just came out of a wilderness season, and it was an amazing season. Wilderness seasons are a time, if you look at it from the perspective of Jesus, are a time when God reveals what the enemy's trying to target you with. And it's usually three things for the next season. Listen, I know this is above some of y'all's head, but just trust me. It's, it, he'll reveal to what, what's coming up. So three things. 
And it's, sometimes it's different things, but it's basically the way that I position my heart, right? And you can find this in Matthew 4, I think. And in, in the Old Testament, when the children of Israel went through the wilderness, what was going on with them? They hardened their heart. Listen, it's just like Saul, when he found out he sinned, he hardened his heart. When David found out he sinned, what did he do? He repented. That's, that's, that's mankind's condition right there. I can, I can, in this room, I can tell the same story, which I am. And some people in here harden their heart and they get offended and mad and other people respond and repent, right? And so because of that, when Jesus was in the wilderness, it actually strengthened him. And so when he stepped out of the wilderness, it says in Matthew 4 that the Holy Spirit led him to the wilderness. I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but I know some of you are in a wilderness season. You have to remember in that season, God's doing something in your heart to help you see, do you really know what he said? Every time Satan suggested something, Jesus responded with what he knew that the Father wanted him to do. Not even with how Jesus felt. He was hungry. Have you ever been hungry? I mean, really, have you ever, has anyone ever done a 20-day fast, anybody? Okay. Are you hungry? You're just kind of hungry then, right? Jesus, this was a 40-day fast. I don't even know anybody's done a 40-day fast, truly, honestly. But it's tough, right? And so, why? Because there's something in our bodies that's given way, right? And so Jesus was right there. And so when the enemy was suggesting this, that's why you have to remember what wilderness season you're in. If you're in the wilderness because of your stubborn heart, that's different than what God's doing to prepare you for ministry. So make sure you know which wilderness you're in and then actually ask the Holy Spirit, what's the three things? Now the other, I got two more threes real fast. That in, uh, let me see where it's at. I think it's in, in Matthew 26, what was going on? Does anybody know? Jesus was about to die on the cross. Right? And so what was Peter doing? Now, who was Peter in Jesus' eyes? Does anybody know? He was a pastor. Right? Okay. So whenever he was sitting at the Last Supper, what did Jesus say to Peter? You're going to deny me. And what did Peter say? Heck no. <laughs> Never. And so, and so that chapter describes the three denials of Peter. Now, if you really look at what all was said, do you know he had to ramp it up each time? Because what he had, what did he, what was he doing? Think about your own life. Think about it for a second. Have you ever denied? Something, either a prophetic word or some encouragement or something that you know the Lord's telling you. Have you ever said no? What's the next time? No. You got to get a little firmer, right, with your nose. Because what's, what's eroding in your heart? What's going on in your heart when you keep denying? Denial means I knew something to be true and I rejected it. That's why the further... The more I reject, the more I reject, the more I get offended, the more I get offended. Has any, oh, let's use offended. I, y'all can't get the rejected. Has anyone been offended? Does it grow over time? I mean, does the story, does the narrative about why you're offended change over time? 
It doesn't get better. Right? And you arrive back, however many years later, right at the same place that offended you. I can tell just by talking to somebody whether they have offense or not. And so it's, it's important to remember that Jesus was revealing something to Peter that was in his heart. Right? And so the questions that those people asked him were just to reveal what Jesus already knew was in his heart. Jesus knew something was in his heart, but he also had an assignment. So if you fast forward to when Peter wrote the book of Peter, if you go over to Peter, look at what Peter's saying there. He's all about shepherding. So what happened? So fast forward to the next series in John 21. What happens in John 21? Jesus comes to him and he says, do you, do you love me? Why was he, he asked him three times. What was he doing? He was restoring each one of the denials. Do you love me? Now, the, the beautiful part about if you really study that out, which we, we're not doing that today, okay? This is just me sitting up, Cece. The first time he said, tend my lambs. So that actually means provide a pasture. See, that pastoral calling says, I got to provide a place. You know, I live with eight people in a ministry house. We have three other ministry houses. That means we have strangers that came in that didn't have a place to go, that they live in one of One Life's ministry house. Why? Because the people there provide pasture. Right? And when, and, and what's, that, what's that little word lamb means? The most immature of us all. Right? You know, some, you know, my girls all live with me. Some of them may leave and some of them may not. Some of them, when I die, poof, they're going to just step right in here. You see what, see, what Shudi did on Wednesday? She's just, just, right? She's just me in a prettier, younger form. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's a little joke. So see, there is a restoration in, in Peter's heart that's, that has to happen to you too. Because what was Jesus doing? He was like, I've seen you this way all along. Right? Have you ever denied something from God? Oof. Right? Have you ever tried to be the boss? Denying his lordship? Anybody? It's just yuck, isn't it? Yuck. And the next thing he said was, tend my sheep. Now, that means we got to feed them. So first, I just, have you ever, I know, it's true. I'll just provide a house. I'll just provide, right? See, like, I feel like in ministry, we've got to be full service. Like, I can help you run a business. I can help you manage your money. I can help you fix your marriage. I can help you find what you're good at. I can help you find your calling. I can help you, right? I can provide shelter, beds. I mean, Tracy, I don't know. How many beds have you bought? How many cars have you bought? Tracy's the car bed girl. Why? Because it's a provision of need. So he was, see, do you see what Jesus was doing? Do you love me? Do this. Do you love me? 
do this. Now, see, the rescuing isn't love. Are you okay with that? So you got to know the difference, right? Rescuers usually don't have anything. And they haven't learned to have their own pasture yet. And they're trying to give away poop from their pasture. They didn't clean up the dog poop. I'm just kidding. Right? That's truthfully true. Rescuers don't even realize their own need. Because they're busy giving away. Okay. You got to get to a clearing there. Now, the third thing he said was, do you love me? And he said that there's actual something beyond the basics, beyond just providing physical needs. This really speaks to the three parts of us. First is the body. Then the next is the soul. And the third is the spiritual. It says you've got to provide spiritual food. Now, this is harder. Why? Because I'll, I have to get enough for me. How many know it's kind of hard to keep yourself up every day, all day, 24-7, 365? That's the goal. That's the goal. Because then I have an over and abundance. You know, the one thing that I can just say that I've, I have developed a reservoir because I've made a lot of hard cho choices. I've said no to my soul a lot. I've said no to spending a lot. I've said no to a lot of things because I have this one goal, to love like he loved. And see, that's those threes in the Bible. The reason why, you know, I, I even made a little slide. The number three, I think I have a slide for this, says the divine stamp of fulfillment. Don't I have it? Yeah. It, this is the definition of it. Divine wholeness, completion, and perfection. So, so Cece's word is going to speak to this. Now, I really, you know, it's different when, you know, the, the process in which she received this word makes me know it's prophetic. Y'all don't have to know that. You can just receive it as a prophetic word. Can you do that? Yeah. All right, come on, Cece. Thank you. Y'all are awesome. Thank you, Tisa, for setting me up really well. I think um, now, you know, we have a saying around here. I think it's from somebody that Tisa knew back in the day, like that um, your weirdness sustains me. There's no one weirder really than the Holy Spirit, I feel like, in the best possible way, right? The Holy Spirit's weirdness sustains me, honestly. Like, I love how mysterious and just crazy. He does the craziest things like you couldn't even think of. And so I'm in a season where he's sort of expanding my ability to hold this tension of what on earth are you saying? Like, what are you saying? Because this doesn't make any sense. And so I've had, um, he keeps giving me these little crazy little nuggets and I have to go for days without really knowing what they mean. And then all of a sudden, bam, like it comes into view. And sometimes that's just in the green room. And sometimes it's while I'm sitting there hearing um, Tisa preach. So this is a, a compilation, okay? It's a compilation of those types of encounters and little nuggets. And I hope that, um, I do believe it's going to be a powerful word. I don't know exactly all that he's going to say through it. 
And I know it's going to speak to you personally, but I also hope that you'll just enjoy the ride because it's a fun little journey of how the Holy Spirit speaks and what he says. And we're going to touch on a, a couple of different topics. Um, I love what um, she was saying about the three, three, threes, the threes there in John 21, you know, the three denials, the three declarations of and confessions of love that restored Peter and the three instructions. That's the three threes, I, be, I believe, from my dream, in addition to all the other threes, right? Um, there's so many that Tisa and I talked about that we could have, she could have shared an entire message on any one of those threes. Um, but I think it speaks today to we are all at different parts of that journey. You know, we're all in different places and we may be in different places on different subjects. So we may be in the part of fulfilling the instructions in one area, but we may still be finding ourselves denying him in another um, area of life. And so I think that speaks to, um, to where we are. One of the, the aspects of John 21 that I love, and we've shared this before, I think at the beginning of 2021 in our word of the year, we incorporated this story of Peter and the other disciples were supposed to be waiting for the, for acts, you know, waiting for the power to come. And while, while they were, I felt like the Holy Spirit told me there that while they were waiting, they got impatient. They got impatient for their own power, what they could, could produce out of their own strength. And so that's why I believe Peter said, I'm going fishing. Like, can you just picture him? And that's a tasker for you, right? A choleric tasker sitting around like, I'm tired of waiting. I want to make something happen. You know, that's, doesn't that sound relatable? And so he says, I'm going fishing. And they're like, all right, well, we'll come with you. So they go fishing and they don't catch anything the whole time, not one fish. Now, this was Peter's profession. This is what he had done his whole adult life. He was good at it. He was known for it, right? He had confidence in his ability. You could say that the fish were the thing he was confident at producing and achieving. So they don't catch anything until Jesus comes. And that's when Jesus says, hey, throw your nets on the starboard side. And we talked about that at the beginning of 2021 or 22. What year is this? I don't even know. 2020. I think it was 22. 22, um, we talked about the starboard side is what he was instructed to throw the net on the starboard side, which is the right side, which pointed to the right brain thinking. We talked about that in our, our imagination, the, the word unfolding the true meaning of the word imagination. And so right brain thinking versus left brain thinking was the message there. The left brain thinking points to our logic, okay, which also points to human reasoning. That's all what we can summarize out of our experience in life. We make sense of the world and all how it works based on human reasoning, which is not godly. Okay, just in case you were unsure, human reasoning apart from the influence of God and God's reasoning is, is anti-Christ. It's anti-God. Okay, and it will not lead you down the path that he has for you. So, of course, Peter throws, throws the... Um, the, night, the net over on the right side, and they catch all these fish. I think it's like 150, 354 different species of fish. A miraculous catch, right? So one of the things I caught in the story this time when I was reading it was when the first time Jesus asked Peter, do you love me more than these? He said, do you burn with love for me more than these? In the Passion Translation, there's a little footnote there that said that the these, it probably does mean the people, 
his fellow disciples, but it also could have meant the fish. So it was a question, do you love me above what you can accomplish on your own? Do you love me above your profession, your skill that you've developed? Do you love me more than the confidence you have in your own strength and your own ability? And so that speaks to and connects back to the first nugget that I want to share with you on my little prophetic journey. And that was um, sometime in this past week, I was sitting down with Matthew 6. And um, Tisa encouraged us all to really focus on Matthew 6. And so there's the verse, uh, Matthew 6, 33. So above all else, constantly seek God's kingdom and his righteousness. And then all of these less important things will be given to you abundantly. Okay. Well, that launched me into an encounter because when I read that and I was kind of meditating on that verse, I experienced this thing in me, this overwhelming feeling about seeking God's kingdom. And I wanted to highlight that for me, I'm, I want to see his kingdom. You know, I want to see it, experience, taste it for myself, but I also want to bring his kingdom. So the seeking means both of those things to me. It's my own personal experience, but I also want to seek the kingdom on earth, God's kingdom on earth. I want to seek that, pursue that. And so I started writing to him and I want to read my encounter uh, with him to you. I said, Papa, my heart longs to seek your kingdom above all else. I feel this cry within me to reach always for your kingdom, for the things above, for your glory on display, for your kindness revealed, for your heart to be painted across this world. Above all, above all, to have the all of me seeking the all of you at all times would be to soar, to soar with freedom filling my lungs, my eyes wide open, receiving your beauty in the depth of me. That would be seeking your kingdom above all. The instruction to do so feels more like an invitation to me. It feels like permission to give in to my greatest desire, the one so often squelched and told to take a back seat, the one that has always been there since infancy, the desire that has persisted within me despite the culture around me and despite the influence of my training. This one desire cannot be quenched by anything other than its true desire. It won't be satisfied with something lesser, no matter how shiny, no matter the color. It seeks, it longs for with every breath of my being, the true elements of the kingdom. To taste every morsel, to lay eyes on each and every part, to behold the pure nature of your glory on earth, organic, unaltered, unfiltered, unprocessed, with nothing added and nothing taken away from a pure and holy display. The all of me longs for this, Papa. Not one part of me disagrees in seeking this one thing. So why does it seem like such a struggle to stay focused on this, my greatest desire? Why do so many other lesser things jump in front of this one thing? Why are so many colorless, tasteless things so apt to catch my attention? Why do they hijack this, my greatest inner desire? How could this God-designed longing be so easily overpowered 
and shoved to the back of the line? When did your kingdom become the last course of the meal in my day? The dessert that's restricted out of some strong-arming discipline. This conflict within me rages like a war, filling my soul with emotions that toil. Rest is stolen in the midst of this battle, yet every day it seems to get even louder. And Papa said, daughter, son, there is only one who can lead you to victory in this. There is one who rides higher than any other, whose voice carries farther with true authority and power. His name is Jesus. He carries the scepter of anointing and sees farther than any human understanding. His vision can lead you to the places you seek, but you must be willing to lay down your understanding. His ways will confound your mind and confuse your understanding. You cannot be led by him and your own understanding at the same time. I'm going to read that again. You cannot be led by him and your own understanding at the same time. You cannot serve two gods. You must hate one and love the other. You must despise one and be devoted to the other. It is a misconception, an orchestrated deception, to believe that the human mind is meant to operate in tandem, or I felt like he was saying as equals, with your king. Okay, it's a misconception. It's an orchestrated deception to think that the human mind is meant to operate as equal with your king. His yoke is easy and his burden is light because he is the one carrying the weight of leadership. You are not equally yoked with your king. You are tethered to his leading and the yoke he is pulling. His yoke is a gift he has given, not a burden he needs help carrying. His yoke carries the kingdom. It rests squarely on his shoulders. If it's the kingdom you seek, you will only find it with him in the lead. He will not veer off course or be distracted by some lesser thing. His mission and his vision are united and fully devoted to this one thing. Every time you choose his yoke over your own, you will find the kingdom. Every time you pick yours back up, you will be separated. The choice is yours, but only one will bring you the satisfaction you seek. It's a good word, isn't it? Now, I didn't know how many scriptures were embedded in this word until I started seeking it out. Um, some things stood out to me, and so I, I sought out some scriptures on this. But just to make sure everybody's connecting, the reason I believe why I struggle with this is why I struggle with waking up in the morning with seeking the kingdom being my greatest desire, but it getting overridden is because of the training I received in my life. It was because of the muscle that was built up in my own way of operating in life. It was Peter's experience. I'm just going to go fishing. You know, I get up in the morning, there's tension, there's problems. What am I going to do? My default is to do what I know best. 
It's my earthly training. It's my earthly understanding of the world around me. And for me, the way that my, with my personality, the way I was brought up and everything, I tend to be overly responsible. And so I have a tendency to fall into striving. I have a tendency to try to do things out of my own strength because I didn't know for most of my life that there was even, that God even existed. I didn't even know there was any other way to do life except to do it the way I knew how to do it best out of my own strength. I didn't think there was anything else for me or working for me. And as beautiful as salvation is and baptism is and all of that, that is part of the mind renewal that has to happen along the way. Or we have to have, we know the truth, our spirit knows the truth, our soul has to be renewed. Our mind, will, and emotions have to be renewed according to the truths of God. And so it's a journey. And so I feel like that's what happens. It's that Peter experience of just defaulting to going fishing. And so um, one of the, what, there was this imagery that the Holy Spirit brought to me that I want to try to share with you. And it was this mention of his yoke, right? And the yoke reference about um, my burden is easy, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, comes from Matthew eleven twenty eight. In the Amplified, it says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened by relig religious rituals that provide no peace, and I will give you rest, refreshing for your souls with salvation. That's how we, what's what we are. That's the condition we're in when we operate out our own strength, right? We're weary and we're heavily burdened. And I will give you rest, refreshing for your souls with salvation. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, following me as my disciple. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. I just realized what he's saying about this. That's so awesome. And, and you will find rest renewal, blessed quiet for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and my burden is light. Now, there are different types of yokes that you may physically, you know, like in the natural come to mind, but there was something the Holy Spirit had been on with me I don't, in, a, in, in one of those weirdness kind of ways where I saw something or somehow I had this, this message that had pointed out, do you, that said, do you know that a yoke can be adjusted so that the strongest animal is carrying or pulling the bulk of the weight, okay? So just picture for the sake of this, um, this, this message that the yoke is just a wooden bar, right? And so you normally have two animals, right, side by side. Now in this, for whatever reason, in this instance, I was looking at this as Jesus was under the yoke on one side and I'm on the other right? That's why he said, you're not equally yoked with me. It's not, you know, we are supposed to co-labor with him, but we're not equally yoked. We're not both pulling with the same amount of strength here. And so what we tend to do with our human reasoning and our worldly training and the religious training is shift that, that yoke over so that it's mostly on us. So the biggest percentage of our time is spent thinking, yeah, I'm pulling this thing on my own. You know, I'm plowing this field by myself because I've pulled it over here and we forget that Jesus is even there. Like we don't even acknowledge that he's part of the process. And I'm telling you, that is just so easy to do. It's so easy to slip into even thinking, even with your intention to serve God, that we try to go out and bring the kingdom out of our own strength. 
And, and when he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, that's pointing to the co-laboring, that we are supposed to be yoked up with him in everything that we do. Okay, so, but let's back up just a minute to that idea that you can shift the, the wooden bar to be over the strongest animal. And so, uh, one of these, uh, if you notice the, um, in the word, it says that this rests squarely on his shoulders. His yoke is a gift, has been given, not a burden. He needs help carrying. His yoke, his yoke carries the kingdom, okay? And it rests squarely on his shoulders. Well, that was a reference to... Right, yeah, Isaiah 9, in verses 6 through 7, I'm going to read it in the Passion Translation, where it says, A child has been born for us, a son has been given to us. The responsibility of complete dominion will rest on his shoulders. He didn't say the responsibility of complete dominion rests on the ecclesia. He didn't say the responsibility of complete dominion rests on the bride of Christ. It doesn't say it rests on the church or on human beings at all. The responsibility of complete dominion will rest on his shoulders. So that's a reference to this picture. The responsibility of the yoke, what that yoke is pulling, farming the ground and all of that is rest on his shoulders. The bulk of the yoke is over his shoulders. And his name will be the Wonderful One, the Extraordinary Strategist, the Mighty God, the Father of Eternity, the Prince of Peace. Great and vast is his dominion. He will bring immeasurable peace and prosperity, and he will rule on David's throne. Not us. He will rule on David's throne over David's kingdom to establish and uphold it. Establish the kingdom and uphold the kingdom. Not us, again. <laughs> he, he will establish it and uphold it by promoting justice and righteousness from this time forward and forevermore. So it wasn't just while he walked the earth. It was forevermore, from this time forward and forevermore. The marvelous passion that the Lord Yahweh, commander of angel armies, has for his people will ensure that it is finished. So you're called to co-labor with him, but it's on him to establish the kingdom, uphold the kingdom, and ensure that the kingdom is finished being built on earth. And I'm just saying we need to hear that. It's on his shoulders. He is the one doing it, not us. And so this imagery I had was that, like I said, most of the yoke is on him. And now it's God's design that we do it with him. That was the plan God chose. So he doesn't need us, but he chose for us to cooperate with him, to co-labor with him. We are the ones given the authority on earth to say what seeds are planted, what seeds are uprooted, right? That was given to us. So just picture that. I pictured it. We have a pretty big backyard in our house. So it just gave me that nice imagery of a big field that needed to be plowed, right? Needed, something needed to be built on that land. Every morning when I wake up, Jesus has the yoke on his shoulders and he is plowing that field. He is out there doing that. He is not distracted. He is not, you know, he doesn't kick into striving. He doesn't kick into those responsible things that we get caught up with and distracted by. He is doing it. So if I get up and there's a little spot for me, there's a little spot for me underneath that yoke, right? I get up in the morning, I can either join him or go do some other thing. But we have got to get it through our heads 
right? If I go do some other thing, even if it's godly, even if it's good, even if it's called responsible, even if it's considered a blessing, all the good words, right? It is doing nothing for the kingdom. It is doing nothing, zero zilch. It's not just a little bit good, and if you do enough little bit of goods, it might add up to something someday. No, you're doing nothing. You are literally not seeking the kingdom if you go and do something else other than get under that yoke with him when you get up every day. It does not matter. It just doesn't matter. Because we have all these voices, you know, this reasoning, that human reasoning that convinces us well, you know, you need to go clean your bathroom. You need to go do this before you go and plow the field. You need to go do this. You need to go talk to that. You need to go do all these other things before you yoke up with him. But he is the one with the kingdom seeds. It rests on his shoulder. The scripture backs that up. And there are others beyond this one that say that. It never says as much as we need to be as the bride of Christ awakened and, and realize we need to stand up and rise up. We can't overdo it. We can't think that we were just called to go out and do a bunch of stuff and say, look, Jesus, what I did. Look what I built for you. Because it's nothing. It's nothing. Like it's not even remotely good. It's not even remotely good. It has, it's nothing. It's just zilch, nothing nothing. I, I'm personally really trying to apply this because like I said, it, we, a lot of the way we were trained, it becomes automated. So we just get up and we start going, right? No, I don't want to be automated to that old worldly training anymore, that old religious spirit. I want to be automated. I want my soul, the all of me to be conditioned to go out there. What is he doing that day? What is he on that day? What is he building? What part of the kingdom is he investing in that day? Because that's all I want to do. Because it says, seek first the kingdom and all that other stuff that we were taught to strive for will be added. So while we're plowing the field with him, planting kingdom seeds in our lives and in the community around us, everything else will be taken care of and given to us. And there's a ton of scriptures on that. I think most of you know that. So... A little, another interesting, okay, this, it gets more interesting, okay, more interesting. Um, the yoke word, okay, I looked it up in the interlinear Bible, and the word yoke comes from the Greek word zygos, and it basically means, it, zygos means unites two elements to work as one, okay, so that makes sense with the idea of a yoke, two elements working as one. Um, but it occurred to me when I was reading that there was another word that I'm very familiar with, just, with, just because various things, um, zygote is another word. Zygote is a fertilized egg. Okay. So I was like, well, I'm curious, did that come from the same word? Sure enough, came from the same word as yolk, a fertilized egg, a zygote. It comes from the exact same root word as the yolk. Right? Right? So amazing. So um, a zygote is, I'm just going to read a little thing about it, is a eukaryotic cell formed by a fertilization event between two gametes. You don't have to know what all that means. A zygote's genome is a combination of the DNA in, in each gamete. It contains all of the genetic information of a new individual organism. So it is a, a zygote 
is a brand new creation. It's a brand new thing. It is not just one or the other. It is a brand new creation. That's, I mean, that's how babies are more made, you know? That's, that's literally what that is. Uh, a zygote is the earliest developmental stage. If you were to study out reproduction and all, that's the earliest developmental stage of any new organism, new creation on Earth is the zygote. So what that points to is there's more happening in that underneath that yolk than we knew. The yolk is the fertilized egg. So if I get up in the morning and I go out there and I get under that yolk with Jesus in my day, there's a fertilize, fertilization happening right there. There's a combination, a new creation, a new birth takes place just by my positioning with him. And I naturally would follow him because we're yoked up together. I would naturally go where he goes. And so I was really delving into this. Of course, our new birth, right, when we're when at the point of salvation, our new birth comes from yoking up with Jesus. We are a completely new individual when we yoke up with him, right? We know about that in, in terms of when you make Jesus your Lord and Savior, you become a new creation, a new creation. It's the same thing. So I'm thinking of this imagery, and I said, I wrote here that when we lay his yoke down to pick up our own, we are no longer operating as the new creation. So just to drive that point home a little bit, I'm not trying to say you're not saved anymore, but I'm just saying you are not operating as the new creation if you are not under his yoke. You broke away. You broke off. So you, you are renewed, you're filled with power and authority, and you've got spiritual gifts, and you're operating in all of them, but you're not the new creation. You're not the new creation unless you're yoked up with him. You actually break away from what he made you to be with this gift, gift of salvation. So no matter how much sense it makes to us to take all that he's given us and go out and do something out of our own strength, it's nothing. It's just nothing. It's nothing. So I think that this also speaks to the development of the kingdom on earth, right? The zygote is the earliest stage of development. So I think this also speaks to the development of all we hope to build through our efforts. I wrote, what if this speaks to the fact that we are not birthing anything at all when we are only bringing our own DNA and not choosing his yoke? What if this points to the reality that we can only build or give birth to the kingdom of God on earth through this union this yoking with Jesus. Jesus has the kingdom and all of its seeds, but it was God's chosen plan that we have the authority on earth to dictate whether or not those seeds are planted, watered, and grown. If we desire to see the kingdom on earth and his righteousness, we must be yoked to Jesus to give birth to any of it. I think that was the main point of this, is really to just drive home that point. You know, it says that his word comes and separates like a double-edged sword, right? Like a scalpel. Because we, in our human reasoning, have things bonded to his truth, to his calling, and the things he's called us to do. It's a thin film, and which we also sing about today, that unveiling, right? I can't remember if that was in warm-up or regular service. But anyways, we sang about it. And so he's coming to separate that off to drive home the point that we are doing nothing for him, nothing according to our deepest desire when we operate on our own. So he's inviting us to choose the yoke with him every single day. And so he didn't stop there, though. Okay, I got another, had another dream. I'll just 
combine it. I had a couple other dreams the next few days. And one of them, interestingly, was that I was pregnant for the third time. Okay? I just realized late yesterday afternoon that that was another three. Okay? Now, in the natural, I've only been pregnant one time and had one child. I don't know what happened to the second pregnancy. You know, in my natural mind, I don't know anything about that. But I was pregnant for the third time in this dream. And I believe, because I will often represent this house and the body of Christ and what's going on right now. So it's us. We were pregnant for the third time. And as Tisa shared, I believe it was this divinely stamped fulfillment, right? Is what the three represented. Divine stamp of fulfillment, divine wholeness, completeness, and perfection. That is the end result of the 333, is that we have been made whole, and we've been made, we've been completed, and we're operating perfectly in our design. Okay? And so I believe that he is saying that he has, we are pregnant with something that he wants to bring to the earth at this point in time. We are carrying a pregnancy. Now, in my dream, I was concerned that I was going to deliver too soon and that there was going to be a problem with the pregnancy, with the baby. And so I believe that speaks to our insecurities and our hesitations to step out and what he's called us to do. The idea that what if we're not ready yet? We'll just wait. You know, what if we're not ready yet? But as you know, we, we preach on it all the time here is God doesn't need you to be perfected before you start acting and serving in your purpose. And so there is a divine, divine pregnancy that we are carrying, okay, that he brought back around in another dream with the 333. He's, he's like just trying to emphasize this, that we are divinely, um, full, there's a divine fulfillment that we are carrying ready to be birthed onto the earth, which, of course, what did we just say was a fertilized egg? The zygote, which is the yolk. So there is a divinely appointed time for us to make sure that we are yoked up with Jesus as we go forward. Because I don't know if, if you've ever, if you're a parent and you were ever, you know, carrying a child, everything gets more important when that's the case. How people drive on the road next to you gets more important. What you eat gets more important. You suddenly have a greater respect for what you're carrying. And I think he's asking us to do that. Have a greater respect for the fact that the Godhead, the triune God has implanted something within you that's ready to be birthed on earth right now. So we need to think a little more carefully about what we ingest, what we eat, who we surround ourselves with. You know, I mean, it's all sorts of things. You know, when you're pregnant, you can't have sushi because there might be some, I can't remember what it is, in the mercury in the fish, right? Well, I love sushi. But when I was pregnant, I did not eat it. You know, you make good choices according to what's best for what you're carrying. And I think that's what he's asking us to do. So in another dream, as Tisa said, I had the 333, and she's highlighted several threes, and we've talked about that. But in that same dream with the three three threes was this awareness that we needed an injection of vitamin E. Okay? I love his ways. That was it. We need an injection of vitamin E. And so I'd been searching for a while, well, what does that even mean? Like, what does vitamin E mean? What does that have to do with anything? Interestingly enough, vitamin E, the actual scientific name for a vitamin E is a tocopherol, okay? Tocopherol is taken from two Greek words, meaning birth and to carry, 
It literally means to carry a pregnancy. Tocopherol means, in the Greek, to carry a pregnancy. Now, it was given this name because this vitamin's activity was very first identified in the world as being essential for fertilized eggs to result in live births. So we're pregnant, carrying this divinely appointed thing, and we're, we're, we're worried, right, that we're not ready. It's going to be too soon. We're, we're insecure. We're not sure about it. And so the Holy Spirit says, well, what you need is some vitamin E. That's what you need to make sure this, your pregnancy and your birthing gives results in a live birth. Get you some vitamin E. Get an injection of some vitamin E, right? If you put the pieces together, say, don't worry, you're going to be fine. I know what I've implanted in you, what, you, what is meant to be birthed at this time. It's not too late. It's not too early. Get you an injection of vitamin E, and you will have a live birth. So that's still that. I mean, I'm, I'm reeling at this point, right, in my journey, because I'm like, what in the world? These are crazy connections, right? But I'm still left with what's the vitamin E? that we need, right? Because obviously it's extremely important. He's given me dreams after day after day after day that this yolk, this zygote, this fertilized egg needs some vitamin E. Well, what is that? What does that mean? And so in my journey with him yesterday, in the Holy Spirit's fun way, he led me to read in two different passages of scripture. One was John 21 about Peter and the 333 there. And the other place was in Acts 17. Interestingly, it's starting in about verse 22. I was reading some footnotes as I'm kind of studying that out. And now Acts 17 is telling the story of when Paul is in Athens and he is preaching the gospel. And the people finally say, what's going on? Like, you're saying some weird stuff. We need to call, uh, convene the council of all of our authority people, and you need to tell us more precisely what your message you're sharing. And so they, in Athens, that was, they were at the height of, of elevating human logic and philosophy, right? And so they had all of these people that literally oversaw the spiritual well-being of the city, and, and they used their human reasoning to determine what was spiritual and what was appropriate. That's not a good plan, as we know. So interestingly, they, this footnote I came across randomly says that Paul gave Athens an inoculation of truth. An inoculation is an injection. Now, I just had the dream about needing an injection of vitamin E. And here's, they chose the word inoculation to say that's what Paul, I mean, just picture that. I can just feel it in the spirit. It was a precise delivery of truth that was implanted in an entire city. Okay, it was implanted in an entire city. It was injected into their thinking. It was injected into their reasoning and their worship of false gods. An inoculation. So let's look at what Acts 17 says. I was really moved by what Paul says. And I'm actually, I'm going to cut to the chase and give you the punchline, okay? I felt like what the vitamin E stood for, and there may be more come, to the, come on this later, but... The E in vitamin E stands for elevate. 
It stands for elevate. You need to, we're elevating in our process, no matter where you're at on those three, three, threes that Peter win. It's time to elevate. It's time to elevate our thinking. It's time to elevate our decision making. It's time to elevate our, how much of our day we spend yoked up with Jesus. Okay. It's time to elevate. And so this, as I read this over you, I want you to realize that ultimately it's about elevating God above everything else in your life. We have got to elevate our awareness of who he actually is and our reverence for him. And that is the thing that we need to make our pregnancy go well and result in a live birth, okay? So Acts 17, now in the footnotes, it talks about how these, um, Paul is so cool. It's a really fun chapter. He knows how to really speak to people. He knows his audience, right? So in the beginning, he says, he, he gives them a compliment at the front of the conversation. He's like, respected leaders of Athens, it's clear to me how extravagant you are in your worship of idols, but it, you're extravagant in your worship, right? <laughs> For as I walked through your city, I was captivated by the many shrines and objects of worship. I even found an inscription on one altar that read, to the unknown God. I've come to introduce you to this God whom you worship without even knowing anything about him. Isn't that so cool? So think about this culture, though. There were people who were basically atheists and didn't believe in God. And then there were people who thought there's lots of gods and they wanted to make sure they were worshiping all of them and had temples for all of them that they even thought, let's just build a temple for that one that we don't know, just in case. So he will bless us too. So Paul sees that as, well, there's my open door. Let me introduce you to the unknown God. So hear how Paul says it. And this is what we need to elevate in our own understanding. I really encourage you to read it over and over and over. In Acts 17, 24, the true God is the creator of all things. He is the owner and Lord of the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. Do you hear that? Not just heaven. He is the creator and the owner of the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. And he doesn't live in man-made temples. He does not live in idols and the little G things that we have out there that are distracting us. He is not alive in there. He's not doing anything in there. Nothing's going on there. He supplies life and breath and all things. We can ask him for anything right? Was that in that message in our worship today? We can ask him for anything. He has everything we need. He supplies life and breath and all things to every living being. I'm just, I'm telling you, this is an invitation to just really take him at his word, like we sang about, and really believe it. Believe it and receive it, like we sang about today. Believe it and receive it. Look at this scripture. Don't just skim over it and think, yeah, I remember hearing that story before. Look at the words and realize the depth of their truth and see how it matches up with the depth of their truth in you and how you, how you live out your life. We've got to make this, take it all the way in, right? He doesn't lack a thing. He doesn't lack a thing that we mortals could supply for him, right? For he has all things and everything that he needs. From one man, Adam, he made every man and woman and every race of humanity. 
and he spreads us over all the earth. He sets the boundaries of people and nations, determining their appointed times in history. Does this, this, this speaks to me about our present day stuff with the transgender stuff and all the movements about identity and different things. There's one creator for every single human being. Here's one person that gives identity. It's not found in some other thing. So if this truth were elevated in our culture, wouldn't it be making a difference? He sets the boundaries of peoples and nations, determining their appointed times in history. I like this one because I can get in, in insecurity and fear and stuff like that. Think of I'm insignificant, right? I'm not, I'm not powerful enough to make, make a difference. No, he chose for me to be here at this time. And I should at least honor that. Like, well, I don't know anything and I don't know why I'm here, but you do. And you must know what you're doing because I'm here right now in this Oklahoma like, right? Here we are. Here we are. Who knew? Never would have thought I'd be in Oklahoma, but here I am. He sets the boundaries of people and nations, determining their appointed times in history. He's doing so much at an appointed time in history, in this country, in this world right now. He has done this so that every person would long for God, feel their way to him and find him for he is the God who is easy to discover. So when you wake up in the morning and you've had some bad dreams, you're tormented by fears, and you think you can't hear him, nope, he's the God who's easy to discover. When you think about the prodigals or the people that don't yet know him, nope, don't have to worry, because they will feel their way to him and find him, for he's the God who is easy to discover. It is through him that we live and function and have our identity. Through him that we live and function and have our identity. Just as your own poets has, have said, our lineage comes from him. And this, the, this is something I feel like he's on right now too, because there's this fractured truth, you know, I've been noticing lately, I didn't grow up in the church, but I'll hear, so I, I didn't know how many biblical influences there were on like songs that were popular in culture. Like I heard that one, you know, don't stop believing. I don't know what they were thinking. I think it was Journey that sang that song. I don't know what they were thinking, but I was like, no, that's God. Don't stop believing. Don't stop believing. I mean, there's all these cultural things like biblical truth is really embedded into our culture and people don't even know it. Okay. It's just been fractured and it's not given attention. And, um, I love that part because it's just as your own poets, the own, their own people in Athens have said that our lineage comes from God. People know a partial truth and they, it just has to be breathed on. It has to be prayed into. It has to have somebody showing up, yoked up with Jesus, with the kingdom seeds being planted, watered, and made sure to grow. That's what they need. Since our lineage can be traced back to God, how could we even think that the divine image could be compared to something made of gold, silver, or stone, sculpted by man's artwork and clever imagination. Again, anything we've built on our own is not, does not have God in it. It's not of him if we built it out of our own strength or we did it out of any of our own efforts. It's only when we're yoked up with him that actually is something that he can build on. In the past, God tolerated our ignorance on these things. But now the time of deception has passed away. Now I feel him on that so, so big 
the time of deception has passed away. That is a verse and a word for now. We've talked about this so many times, but it just we can't say it enough. The time of deception has passed away. That is a word over this generation, over this country, over this world, over this time on earth right now. The time of deception has passed away. He's not going to tolerate the things that have been hidden and allowed to operate in, for, on the evil agendas anymore. There's, he's not tolerating anymore people being deceived by what they've been fed. Okay, the time of deception has passed away. It's over. It's done with. He's unveiling things in people, in cultures, in industries, and all sorts of stuff, right? The time of deception has passed away. He commands us all to repent and turn to God. And that's just another line in the sand type thing. And as I said, there are some of us have things that are in stages. We have certain categories where we've done this. We've repented in certain areas, but we're still operating in other things in our life that are not godly and that we are, un, we are still, we're okay with operating un, under a faulty system or a deception of some sort that's come through the culture or whatever, however it came from. He's saying he's done with that. And so your part, our part is to repent and turn to God in every one of those areas, not just some of them. But if he convicts you on something, if you've heard a truth on something, and you know that he's talking to you, and it's talking to a certain area of your life, repent and turn to God. We are done. The time of worshiping false idols is over. For the appointed day has risen in which he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has designated. And the proof given to this world that God has chosen this man is this. He resurrected him from among the dead. So again, with all the, the backlash against Christianity and stuff right now, there's only one that was resurrected from the dead. There's only one Jesus. There's only one judge. There's only one God that has been appointed to judge whether or not we're on course or off course. And so this is, again, a call for this appointed time that he is done with the deception of all the little G's. He's bringing the entire world into an alignment where they're going to know one way or the other. They are going to know this is the kingdom age. We've talked about it in Daniel 7:27. The, the beast, the authority and power of the beast is being taken away. It's being given to the people. God's kingdom is being built and everyone will know that he is God. So that is the portion of scripture I'm asking each of you to really read into to see how it fits into your life. Okay, that's Acts 17, 24 through 31. This is our elevate. This is our vitamin E. Okay, this is the, the injection, the inoculation. You know, an inoculation changes your immune system. It changes you forever. That's what we're, we need to be pursuing. This as something not just that we read, but we allow it to change us. It changed the way our body functions. It's a nutrient that is needed for us to carry this divinely fulfilled and appointed birth and to result into a live birth at this point in time. So that was a crazy puzzle, right? We put together, but I think we get the message. And I personally am really going to be pursuing this and making it personal. So, Papa, I just want to say thank you for the way that you speak. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you search the heart of the Father for what we need that we don't yet have, that we don't have knowledge of, that we don't have 
fully implanted in us and you speak it over us. That is the most loving act that I can think of is that you would do that for us. Holy Spirit, you seek out what's on the Father's heart and what we are unaware of that we need. You are so, so giving and caring and nurturing to us. And so I thank you that you've you revealed this message to us. I thank you that in our human understanding, we don't even know the full impact of it, the full impact of what it will do in each of our lives personally or on a big scale. But there will come a time when we will see and we will know what this word did, what your revelation gift to us at this appointed time did for us. There will come a time where we can see it and we will just celebrate with you then. But we're going to celebrate with you now in advance. We're going to celebrate what you've said to us and what you revealed to us and the work that you're doing in us now. So Holy Spirit, I ask that you would make this a deeply personal message. I ask that you would break down all the barriers that would keep these seeds, these kingdom seeds from being planted, watered, protected, and grown. I ask that you give people dreams and visions, that you put it on billboards and conversations and commercials they hear and things they interact with in the community, whatever weird and crazy way you want to do it. We love it. Your weirdness sustains us. <laughs> so we love your ways. We just love your ways. Papa, we love you. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we love you. We give you all the honor and the glory today. And it's in your mighty name that we pray. Amen. I just feel like that we need to just stand and just honor the word that he just poured out to us and it doesn't really even matter if you totally understand it you know Cece's really smart and she's a brainiac and so sometimes she has such a deep deep word but that deep that I've been talking about is calling out to your deep and so I just like to start out by what she said I just repent Papa for any way that I have yoked up and just had you off in the background and I just repent right now and I just say with my mouth that I make you Lord and Savior of my life. I put myself in the right place with you and I just honor you that you've given me this opportunity and privilege to partner and co-labor with you. But the instructions come from you. The goals come from you. The destination of what I'm doing each day come from you. You did not give me permission to go out rogue on my own. And so right Right now, I just release repentance over my life, and I say that I change my way. I change my way. I change my way. I change my way, and I want it to be your way, Yahweh. And so, oh, it's good. So, Papa, I just release a blessing over Cece today. Papa, I just put a hedge of protection around her that no tormenting voices will come in of questioning what she released today and how many will pray with me over her over the next couple days. And Papa, I just release protection from us and we receive gladly the word from the prophet today. We receive it with joy today. We receive it because it will yield fruit in our lives. And as we listen to it again, thank you for the ability to listen to it again we have all our stuff is free on many 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 platforms and i just receive the message again anew and i will make changes in my life to line it up with what you have offered to us today thank you for excelling in our lives into a greater uh, area and elevating us with this word spiritually in jesus name amen
thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com.